Gary, she, uh, she went back. All right. We are in the 12th chapter of Nehemiah. So if you want to turn to the 12th chapter of Nehemiah, we'll be looking at verses 27 through 47 today. Walls. Walls are important. We hear a lot about walls today. We're going to build a wall. Amen. All of you, who's in favor of building a wall? Along the southern border of America. Okay. Um, I've heard both political parties over the years talk about building a wall. I really have. I don't know if you have, but I have. I've heard them say it. Now we've got one that's really wanting to do that. It looks like he's going to do that. Uh, And Mexico's going to pay for it, we're told. And that's, that's all right, too. But there was a wall in our not-too-distant future, or past, I should say, distant past, a wall that came down. It was a wall that was a dividing wall in Germany between East and West Germany. West represented more the freedom side of the wall, and East represented bondage still. Um, and so it was monumental when Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And so the wall came down. Any of you remember that when the, when the Berlin Wall was knocked down? It was an amazing day, wasn't it? It really changed the, 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 the complexion in Europe, but especially in Germany. In chapter 12... We're going to look at this wall that had been rebuilt. Nehemiah had heard of the wall being knocked down. Nehemiah then, because it it hurt his heart, he set plans to rebuild the wall, got the king to furnish the supplies to build the wall, and went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Amen? And he did it. And now it's a time of celebration. And that's what this chapter talks about. Dedication and celebration of the wall of Jerusalem, the walls in Jerusalem being rebuilt. And that's an important thing to understand. There were musicians and there were choirs and there were officials and politicians. Everybody wanting to get a, get a little bit of the credit, a little credence for getting this wall up. But Nehemiah is the one that got the wall built against much opposition. Anytime you're going to rebuild a wall in your life that's been knocked down by Satan, you're going to get opposition to building that wall. Get ready. If you've had a habit that you've overcome and you're, and you're trying to live a different way, you're going to have people criticize you because of the, what you're doing. And they're going to tell you you can't get it done. Every time, you'll have plenty of critics. But this is a great chapter, and it talks about the celebration and the dedication of this wall We pick it up at verse 27, and uh, Nehemiah begins to give elements that make up true celebration. Uh, Let's let's pick it up there in verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem from the villages of the, uh, boy, Netaphathites, (laughs) 
from Bath Gilgal and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And I had the leaders of uh, Judah uh, go up on top of the wall, also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. Well, the choirs are singing. Corey, not just yet on, the, on, the, on that slide. But uh, uh, the choirs were singing. Instruments were playing. Singers were going after it. And it was all in celebration and achievement of building this wall. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, at the battlefield of Gettysburg, said this, We are now engaged in a great civil war, testing whether any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come here to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place to those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do so. Any of you ever been to the National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia? I've never been there, but the pictures I see are very moving all the time. It's one of the most incredible places. And I especially am touched every time I see or witness on television or on YouTube or on video of some kind the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And how our soldiers continue to march in front of that tomb. Is it every hour that they do that? I can't remember the time frame. Rain, shine, snow, sleet, it doesn't matter. They're out there doing it. 30 minutes. Every 30 minutes, they, they march in front of the... They change the guards every 30 minutes. An amazing commitment that we've made. But can you imagine the honor that those soldiers feel to be assigned to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? All of that representing freedom. In order for this wall, in order for Jerusalem to experience freedom again, they needed this wall to be built. Because the walls in this day and age provided protection. And so it was proper to dedicate it. And so the Holy Spirit has been careful to include three aspects that make up true celebration. And I hope that you caught them as we read through them. The first one was in verse 27. It's, it says the Levites were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. So there's that. the first element is the true expression of joy in verse 27. It's a general attitude of joy that ought to be characterizing all Christians. It's amazing to me how many Christians never appear to be joyful. I used to, used to use the phrase, they look like they've been baptized in dill pickle juice. Because they just don't smile much. Christians don't raise their hands much. Christians don't, Christians don't seem to be alive, especially the older you are as a Christian. You've been a Christian so long, you just forgot what it means to be joyful, I guess. But we ought to be joyful, amen? We of all people should be able to praise the Lord. We of all people ought to be able to shout hallelujah. We of all people should find a way to smile. It takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. Did you know that? It really does. Now I know you may not like your smile. But smile anyway. Well, I don't like my teeth, preacher. They're all crooked and gnarly. Okay, smile and cover your teeth. I don't know, but smile. It's all right. 
If you want to see somebody that knows how to smile, I should have Patrick uh, Caleb stand up and smile. That boy can smile. And he has a pretty smile. Okay, Patrick, stand up and smile. Is that it? Now, not everybody saw your smile. Turn around. He does. He has a pretty smile, doesn't he? Yes, he does. His dad smiles and you wonder what he's up to. Now, <laughs> I raised three boys like his dad raised some boys. I know what that smile means. Yes, sir. But we need to learn to be joyful. And, and uh, a little girl uh, saw a mule for the first time. And uh, she said, I don't know what you are. But you must be a Christian because you look like my grandpa. (laughs) Old long-faced Christians. But we've got to learn to smile and praise the Lord, folks. When the Lord's touching your heart, put a smile on your face. You know, some of these songs we sing today, they may have been new to you, but, well, the words are powerful, aren't they? I love that healing water song. Let your healing waters flow in this place. Boldly I approach your throne. You think about what you just said. You see, according to Hebrews 4, we can boldly approach the throne of God's grace through prayer. He tells us, come on. Have confidence and come on. The German philosopher Nitzke said, if the Christians expect me to believe in their Redeemer that they have, that they have got to look a lot more redeemed. <laughs> if they want me to believe in their Redeemer they have, then they've got to look a lot more redeemed because there's just times when people need to see the Lord coming through us in us filling us and happiness is one way that we can show that another uh, element of celebration of true celebration is found in verse 30 when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially they purified the people the gates and the wall so purification is necessary to celebrate you can't do it with a hypocritical heart. Somebody told me one time, said, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And my response is, you'll fit in just fine. Come on. You can't celebrate with your life when it's in ruin. When you're in turmoil, it's hard to celebrate, isn't it? But if you can stop and remember and consider the fact that God has lifted that burden off your off your heart. God has forgiven that sin. God has abolished that sin. God won't remember it anymore, it says. As the east is from the west. Wow. Reminds me of what David said in Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false? He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God His Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. (coughs) There are many people who just seem afraid of the word purity. We talk about it, but we're afraid of it. We need to have pure hearts, clean hands before the Lord, pure minds before the Lord. Washing dishes. How many of you wash dishes? Great. Do you hand wash them and then put them in the dishwasher? 
Doesn't make any sense, does it? You buy this machine that washes your dishes, and you wash them before you put them in. So why do we have a dishwasher if you're going to dishwash them before you dishwash them? The dishwasher sterilizes them? You mean the scalding hot water out of the tap doesn't do that? Okay. But the bottom line is you're not going to eat off of a dirty plate. You're going to make sure it's clean, sanitized. Right? Well, how can you expect God to use you if your heart's not pure? He can't. He can't. Not only that, but he won't. So how do we purify ourselves? Well, in the New Testament, it's a simple process. It's not by ritual, but confessing sins. Believing that God has forgiven us. And it's really that simple. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, it's not that you need to come to me or, or I come to you to confess sin. I need to go to the Lord. I need to go to God and confess my sins to Him. And He says He's faithful He'll forgive me. Not just a few of all of them. Even the ones that I forget about, He will take care of those as well. Hey, that's good news, isn't it? That's great news. Then there's a third element of true celebration. It's in verse 31. I had the leaders of Judah go up on the top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. So thankfulness is always a part of true celebration. Being thankful. We live in a time when people are not thankful and appreciative of what they've been given. They, all, they expect it. They think they're entitled to it. Just look at the news. Just look at the news. When a rapper can make fun of our president with a gun pointed at him, and then the word bang comes out of it. It doesn't matter what you think about the man who's occupying the office. He is our president, just like the previous one was our president. I prayed for him because the Bible says I'm supposed to pray for him. And I did pray for him that his heart would be soft and his, his, his heart would be tuned to God. I pray for that all the time. I pray for that all of our leaders. I especially pray for our city leaders. We've got some city leaders that need to get their hearts right with God. Period. Of course, when they're with the preacher, boy, they're, they're the greatest Christians you've ever heard of. Well, let's see how they vote. That tells you more than you want to know. But thankfulness, it's so important. And that starts with good leadership. And Nehemiah was a great leader in being thankful. And look what he had to be thankful for. He was thankful for the king of Persia's heart and giving him all the supplies, letting him be gone to rebuild the walls. He was grateful for the angelic protection that they had while they were building the wall. He's grateful for the wisdom of God that allowed them to overcome their enemies. He was grateful and thankful for the spirit of unity and cooperation that prevailed by all the people. All the differing peoples pulled together and worked together and did what they could to get that wall rebuilt. He was thankful for the strength of labor and the supply of food and shelter. Remember some would, while they were working, others would stand guard and watch over them. I suspect that they brought food in and they kept bringing it in and they just worked around the clock. 
52 days to rebuild that wall. So it raises a question, what are you thankful for? And how and when is the last time you talked to God and said, boy, I'm thankful for, and you fill in the blank. See, if you'll spend more time thanking God for what you have and being thankful for what you have, you won't have time to complain what you don't have. Always have an attitude of gratitude for what God has given you, and He's given you so much. Well, boy, if I just had this, man, I'd have it made. No, you wouldn't, because then you'd be upset about something else you didn't have. Be grateful for what you have. Be appreciative of what you have. If you have if you have a terminal illness, your whole perspective on things changes. As I talked to Coach Trimble, he's not going to live longer than three to five years. Now you, you'll never know that looking at him right today, unless you've seen him prior to today. Parts of his body are not working right. He, he was down in Louisiana on a mission trip, I guess, a week or so ago. Holly Grove, they go down and, and do the same place every, every year. He said they were coming out of a restaurant, and he had both hands full, and his britches started falling down, his, his shorts. And so he, he had to put his coat down, and, and he can't grip anymore. He said so he had to gather them up with his arms and just... Just watching him tell me this story was funny enough. But you'd have thought somebody would run up and helped him. But then he said he had to waddle out to the car. It was the funniest looking thing I've ever seen. But I'm so grateful that he has a sense of humor about where he is. But his body's going to stop working due to Lou Gehrig's disease. And he will eventually not be with us. But he doesn't worry about that anymore Bryant's on his second run with this cancer thought we had it whipped the first time <clears throat> okay I haven't seen him change a bit have you I haven't seen him get angry and upset and bitter all I see him doing is going okay here we go here we go again isn't that what we're all about Sherry Blair, every time Sherry uh, has these checkups, oh, we found a spot. She'll always say to me, it's nothing. It's nothing. Her daughter's a pessimist. Her daughter says, Mom, you've got cancer. It's eating your body up. Oh, man, I feel good now, don't you? Mom, you'll always have cancer. Okay. Can you at least say hello or... You are my sunshine. <laughs> so having that thankful heart can make all the difference in the world. So those elements of celebration, joy, purity, and thanksgiving, so important. Then Nehemiah divides his choirs to march around the city, beginning at verse 31. <clears throat> One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate, and uh, half the leaders of Judah followed them. And I've got all these names there, as well as some of the priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, and got all these names. 
with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, led the procession. And at the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Now, what was important about the water gate? That's where the Bible was read, remember? That's where Ezra read the Bible. And the people responded. It says the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. And I, Nehemiah, followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, to, and uh, to the uh, Jes- Jeshana gate, or the old gate, and the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, as the gate of the guard, which is called earlier the inspection gate, or the judgment gate, they stopped. So these choirs marched in different directions around the city walls, and they were joined together on the eastern side before the temple. It must have been something. <clears throat> to hear the choirs coming up around the walls. And then to see them all get together singing the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine two massive choirs today singing that? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you imagine two big choirs singing that? Wow. Can you imagine two big choirs marching and singing, Oh Lord my God. Woo! You give me 200 voices singing that, folks, it's going to send chills up and down your spine. The Old Testament, this action of walking around an object or a piece of land is, is, was God's way of claiming that land for God. Abraham was told to walk around the land of promise and God would give it to him. So that raises another question. Have you by faith walked around your situation? Have you claimed it for the name of Christ and in the name of God? Have you claimed that situation so that victory is on your side? You see, if you're just fighting the fight without walking the walk, then you're not going to make the fight go very long. So I encourage you. March around your situation. March around that situation. And then we read that the choirs joined together and entered the temple for a great service of thanksgiving. Look at verse 41. Two choirs gave thanks, then took their places in the house of God. And so did I, together with half the officials as well as the priests. And we get all the names. The choir sang under the direction of Jesariah. And that's Hebrew for Glenn Pickett, huh? No, I'm just teasing. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Can you imagine? Just imagine the football stadium Two, three hundred, four hundred people singing praises to Almighty God. Don't you think the neighbors would hear it? <clears throat> we might hear it on down here at the church house. That'd be awesome. And the application for our life is that it, it spells out that these words from the uh, it really comes from the book of Hebrews. These, this is what spells it out for us in Hebrews 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. We must understand that God listens and hears our confession and our sacrifices of praise. You may not can sing worth a lick, but roll the windows up and let her rip tater chip, okay? Just let it go. 
Sing it, man. Sing it. Because it does something for your heart, doesn't it? It does something for your heart. Praise and sharing. We need to be more in tune with that. Then the final, the final account in this chapter for us, <laughs> which is always after great praise and thanksgiving and glory to God, we do what? Take an offering. Amen? Got to take an offering. At that time, it uh, begins in verse 44. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and the tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and the Levites. They uh, performed the service of their God in the service of purification, as did also the singers and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion uh, for the descendants. Of Aaron, three things that are especially pointed out about these offerings. The first one is these offerings and contributions were given with pleasure. Judah was pleased, circle the word pleased or underline the word pleased with the ministering priests of the Levites, priests and Levites. They were pleased. The scripture carefully informs us that offerings mean nothing if they're not given cheerfully. It doesn't matter how much. It matters the condition of your heart as you give it. Now, if you can give a lot, give a lot. If you can give medium, give medium. If you can give something, give something. But never give nothing. You've always got something to give. Amen? I'll I'll wait because you need to say amen to that. And if you haven't said amen, shame on you. You've always got something to give. Well, I don't trust some people down there. I ain't giving them none of my money. Okay, give it somewhere in the kingdom of God. Would you? (laughs) Come on. How about time? How about talent? Now I'm going to set on my talents. Okay, set on them. I don't have time. You'll have time to do whatever you want to do. I don't care what it is. You'll have time. You'll you'll make time. You'll make time. I've heard people say they can't, they don't, their their health won't let them go to church, but you'll find them Friday night down to casino. Same people. I know where the church offerings are going most Sundays. They've already been spent at the casino. But you were hoping that you hit it big because then you're going to give to the church after you hit it big. Let me give you a clue. Bring what you was going to spend at the casino and give it to God. Yeah, come on. Much better return. And you won't smell as bad. Oh, you don't get that one. Okay. When God looks at us He's always looking for the pleasure, the delight, the cheerfulness within our heart so He can return those blessings in like manner. The second thing that we need to be reminded about these offerings, it says, according to the command of David and his son Solomon, 
You've got to understand through obedience, God will bless. According to the command of David and his son Solomon, people in the public eye can easily be tempted to act from a wrong motive. Now, I don't know about you, but I am appalled at the congressman in Oklahoma who was, is going to be convicted of child prostitution and they let him resign from his post as a state senator or something like that, but he's still going to get his retirement. I say no. I say string him up at, at the edge of town. But then again, that's me. Obedience. Obedience. These people understood obedience. They understood that if they weren't a singer or a performer, then they were going to help provide the sustenance for them so they could sing and could perform, you see. If you're an usher at the church, you are vitally important. Probably more important than the preacher. If you're the greeter, very important because as people come through the door, you greet them. You're the first... You're the first person they see about our church when a guest comes. So we have to understand that we need to be obedient and we need to especially be obedient in the area of our giving. The third point I want you to see about this offering where it says they also set aside the portion for other Levites. They took care of other people. We are are a church that takes care of other people too. And we, I think we do a pretty good job at that for the size church we are. Some of the bigger churches send them down here because they know that we're going to help. Where they maybe, maybe they can't because their money's tied up in other things. But I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to help and minister to people. Within our own church. We do that within our own church first. Then we spread, broaden out to those in the community. But we need each other, don't we? We need each other. I read a parable called The Carpenter's Tools, and I think it really hits us here. Brother Hammer, because he was too noisy, was asked by the other tools to leave the shop. But he said, if I'm going to leave this carpenter shop, Brother Drill must go too. He's so insignificant that he makes very little impression. Brother Drill, Drill arose and said, all right, but Brother Screw, he must go also go. You have to turn him around and around again and again to get him anywhere. Brother Screw responded, if you wish, I will go, but Brother Plain must leave also. All his work is on the surface. <laughs> There's no depth at all. Brother Plain replied, Well, Brother Rule will have to withdraw if I do, for he is always measuring folks as though he were the only one who is right. Brother Rule complained about Brother Sandpaper, saying, I just don't care. He is rougher than he ought to be. He is always rubbing people the wrong way. In the midst of the discussion, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in to perform his daily day's work. He put on his apron and he went to the bench to make a pulpit from which to preach the gospel to the poor. He employed the screw, the drill, the sandpaper, the saw, the hammer, the plane, and all other tools. And after the day's work was over and the pulpit was finished, Brother Saul arose and said, Brethren, I perceive that all of us are laborers together with God. That's the key. All of us need each other. And all of us need to perform and do what we have gifted us to do. God has gifted us to do. And let's do it. And let's do it with enthusiasm. And let's do it with joy. And let's do it with pleasingness to God. So we ought to take care and recognize that mutual cooperation and mutual support of one another is part of the service of celebration. 
So we should celebrate with joy, in purity, and with thanksgiving to Almighty God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this time together. And I pray that all that we've been, been saying today will sink in. And, Father, that there will be those that might respond to you at the invitation. So, God, we're going to sing in just a little bit. Great song, Pass Me Not. And I just pray that people here will understand that they shouldn't be passed over. And we don't want you to go by us and we reject you. I pray, Father, that somebody just today in this meeting, in this, in this room today, will renew a commitment to you. Father, they will feel closer to you and begin to respond in, in the right way. Through gifts, talents, treasure, time. God, would they bring praise and honor and glory and adoration to you. And Father, we're so thankful. Thankful for everything that you've done for us. But God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, would they make today that day? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.